Well, as we approach this Christmas season, my goal this weekend is pretty simple, and that's to bring hope into a pretty busted, broken-up world. And I'm going to start off in a way that you may not see as very hopeful, but I hope you'll stick with me, okay? The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 17 verses. So if you've got your app or your Bible or whatever device you have to read Scripture on, here we go. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nahshon, Nahshon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Right now, you can pray for our sign language interpreter tomorrow morning. She's going to need help. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, Shiltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliachim, Eliachim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, and finally Jacob the father of Joseph, whose husband, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Amen. Now, some of you were like, what was that? Some of you are like, that was boring. I mean, it's no wonder people see a genealogy in the Bible and they just skip right over top of it because it just looks like a long, boring list of names. And it is a long, boring list of names. It's a boring family tree. The reality is I have a boring family tree. I come from a long line of distinguished but very regular Ukrainian-Polish farmers, okay? I've done a genealogy search in my family tree looking for interesting people, celebrities, people that would stand out. There is no one interesting in my family tree. The craziest story from my family is how we arrived in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and a Canadian government official, uh, official looked at one of my family members and said, you can't come into this country with a last name like Foshbook, so I'm going to change it to Fishbook. Someday I'm going to hunt down that man, and I'm going to say to him, do you have any idea what middle school students can do to a kid whose last name is Fishbook? And then I will say, vengeance is mine, saith the Foshbook. Okay, so, it's just a family tree. Or is it? Or is it a story? Is it a story of God's creativity? You see, this is what I want you to notice about this really long list of people. These are all real people. 
called by God for the specific purpose of ushering in the Messiah. God chose them. He handpicked them. He called them out to participate in the bloodline of the Messiah. He called them out like he said he would in John chapter 10 when he said this. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep know his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. God called them and they followed. Not always the way that we would think that they would follow, but they followed. Specifically, on purpose, God called them. He had a plan and he was working it out like we talked about last week in the background of human history. And so we're going to take some time this weekend and I'm going to run down the family tree of Jesus because there are some interesting people hanging off the branches of the family tree of Jesus, okay? Not going to hit all of them. Relax, okay? Not going to hit all of them because that would take us forever. But I just want you to start at the top. We're going to work our way down all the way through. And we're going to find out who is involved in the family tree of the guy of whom we are going to celebrate loudly and wildly over the next seven to eight days or so. Okay? So it starts with God. And it jumps into this guy named Abraham. And then it really dives into a guy named Jacob. Okay? Jacob's name means heel catcher. He was actually born with a brother, and he was a complete and total con man. In his lifetime, he disguised himself as his brother. There's no politically correct way to say this. Um, Jacob's brother was Harry, okay? Like, not Harry his name, like Harry is in covered in hair, didn't know how to wax. Let's move on. Okay, so... Um, and he basically impersonated his brother, took advantage of the fact that his father couldn't see very well, stole his blessing and his birthright, and ripped off his own family. That's Jacob. Next person, Judah and his brothers. They actually sold their little brother named Joseph into exile and faked his death and made their father believe that his little brother had actually died. Joseph, of course, becomes the prime minister of Egypt, and we are going to celebrate and walk through his life for over six weeks during the month of Jesus. January. Then it shows up with a lady by the name of Tamar. Okay? Here's the story. Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law. You did not learn that story in Sunday school, did you? You didn't. Okay? Lighten up, people. All right? It gets worse. All right? Jerry Springer could not even think this stuff up. But it's in your Bible. Okay? That's what Tamar does. Then we move on to a lady named Rahab. Rahab was a Gentile prostitute who helped save her family by assisting a group of Israelite spies. She actually ended up becoming a, fo a follower of the God that we serve and, and, and changed, completely transformed her family's spiritual landscape. She had twin boys, and they were weird. And you need to read about them in your Old Testament, okay? Let's jump a couple of generations ahead to a lady named Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman who was included even though she was a foreigner. And that's going to make a big deal because you know, we all know we talk about the purity of a line and all that kind of stuff. God seems to be okay with foreigners, which is actually really cool. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Then we move on to David. David's famous, of course, right? David was the king of Israel. But he attached to his name is this phrase. David was married to this lady named Bathsheba who had been Uriah's wife. Okay, that should be a clue to somebody like, that's messed up right there, okay? Because if she's married to Uriah, what is she doing attached to the name of King 
David. Well, the phrase is actually talking about Bathsheba, whom David spied on while she was taking a bath, and then David entered into, into, entered into a conspiracy to commit murder and put Bathsheba's husband Uriah on the front lines of a war so that he would be killed. Just a little twisted, right? Some of you are feeling better about your family by the second, okay? I mean, David paid dearly for that sin because God was not happy with what David did. David and Bathsheba had multiple children. One of them was a guy named Solomon, okay? Solomon was the wisest and wealthiest man in human history. He was also a relational train wreck. If you read your Old Testament, you find out this was a guy who had way too many wives. I'm not going to get into polygamy. He had way too many concubines. I'm not going to get into prostitution. Okay, but I mean, he just seemed to wrap himself in all the wrong relational stuff. And he got in a lot of trouble for it. And he learned a lot of lessons. And he wrote a lot of the lessons down in three books of your Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Okay? Then we shift into this list of kings with all different kinds of names. Rehoboam. He was an evil king who did evil in God's sight, and he actually split the nation of Israel into two kingdoms. Abijah, he learned how to be evil from his dad and kept right on sinning, twice as bad as his father had ever been. Then Asa steps in. Asa was a godly king. Scripture tells us that Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all of his days. So all of a sudden, here comes somebody who decides to go in a different direction. Jehoshaphat was a good king who loved God and actually brought the entire nation of Israel back to serving the God that he loved. Then there's a guy named Jehoram. Jehoram was an evil king, twisted, strange guy. Read the story for yourself. Then there's a guy named Uzziah. He was a good king, but he got really full of himself and actually thought that he could do the job of a priest. So he elected himself to be a priest, went into the temple, started offering sacrifices, which God said kings were not allowed to do, so God zapped him between the eyes with leprosy. Don't believe me? Read it for yourself. Then there was a guy named Jotham. Jotham was a good king, but his son Ahaz was completely nuts. Okay, Ahaz participated in pagan occult rituals and child sacrifice. In fact, he remodeled God's temple to accommodate his own twisted rituals. Just for the record, that never goes well for you when you mess with God's furniture, okay? All right? Hezekiah was a good king. 2 Kings 18, verse 5 says that there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Manasseh, unbelievably evil man who was described in 2 Chronicles 33, 9. So this is the, the little sentence that describes this guy named Manasseh. Manasseh did more evil before God than any of the nations Israel had destroyed previously. That is a bad dude right there, okay? So think of all of the different nations that God sent his people of Israel to go and purify, take all of their bad stuff and pile it together, and they're like, Manasseh was worse. Cool thing about Manasseh, right before he died, he actually repented before God and found forgiveness. Interesting story. Amon was a wicked king, but his son Josiah, the Bible says, was a good king who turned to the Lord and did everything he could to undo all of the evil work of his father. Jeconiah was in power for just three months before the Babylonians showed up and took over Jerusalem. Jeconiah, the Bible says, actually had a blood curse pronounced on his family by God himself. That's not good. And then he was banished. He's actually spoken about in Jeremiah 22:24, but his name was changed from Jeconiah to just 
Coniah. Let me tell you why that's a big deal. That little juh in front of a name is a big, big deal because it means the name of the Lord. As in Jehovah. Jeconiah does something so twisted and so bad, God takes the first part of his name away from him because it sounds like God's name. God removes his name from the man, and for the rest of Scripture, he's only referred to as Kaniah. My prayer over the next couple of weeks is that God actually sticks a ja in front of a whole bunch of people's names, Christ the King. From Zerubbabel on... We ran into the group of people who were actually living during this 400-year period of silence that we've been studying the last couple of weeks. And the reality is this. We don't know anything about them at all. There's no historical record about these guys. They're just regular people who worked regular jobs and lived in the regular ancient world. They were not superstars or celebrities. They were people just like me and you. And then we run into this amazing guy by the name of Joseph. I want you to notice something. All the way through the pattern is this. And so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. Except for Joseph. Joseph is not mentioned as the father of Jesus. He's only mentioned as the father, or sorry, as the husband of Mary. Because the father of Jesus was not Joseph, was it? No, Jesus' father was God. Okay. That is an interesting mixture of people right there, right? I mean, that's just, that's just a messed up group of humanity. If you go back through all of the history, there are some twisted stories with the family of Jesus. You think you have a messed up family? You've got nothing on the King of Kings, all right? Now, some of you are thinking, Grant, you do not know my family. <laughs> I don't, and you don't know mine either, and that's why we need to pray for each other over the next 10 days or so, Okay. I mean, it's no wonder that the family tree of Jesus, actually in the words of the prophets before God got really, really quiet, it's amazing. It's never referred to as a tree. It's referred to as a stump. <laughs> I love that. You don't have a family tree. You've got a family stump, right? That's something to be proud of right there, right? Isaiah chapter 11 says this, And a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So out of this broken, twisted little stump, this new little shoot was going to appear. And it was going to bring hope to a world that seemed unbelievably broken and stunted and dead. I love that little verse in Isaiah chapter 11. It means out of this broken pile of humanity and evil choices, God was going to bring one who was going to stand up for what was right and all of history, even the evil stuff, was going to change with him. So we have literally covered thousands of years of history. Bad kings, good kings, prostitutes, priests. I mean, all of these different people all wrapped up in the family tree of Jesus and now we're going to ask the question that we've been asking for the last couple of weeks. So what? Who cares? Who cares? Well, this past week, I'm just going to be honest with you. So I was getting ready to preach this weekend, and, and 
I thought, you know, we got to do something for Sudden Valley. We got to do something for Ferndale. We got to put all these things together, you know, for the campus at Bellingham. And then everything happened earlier this weekend with this incredible tragedy in Connecticut. And I thought maybe I should just change everything. Maybe we should just move it all aside. And for some reason, God just kept coming back and putting his finger on the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. And I'm thinking, can't we at least get to verse 18 because that's where like Jesus shows up and, and the Christmas story happens and it gets really, really good from there. And God's just like, no, I want you to start in the so-and-so begat so-and-so section because it matters. So I spent a large portion of my week just sitting there staring at these names. And as I sat there and as I prayed, God just started dropping a couple of Thoughts, questions, statements. And I'd love for you to walk along with me through them. So let's start with the first one. You know, if, if someone could pick their family line, you'd probably expect the choice of purity and nobility, wouldn't you? I mean, if you got to pick the people that preceded you, I would think you would want to pick up, not pick down. Can we agree together that if you got to pick your family line, you'd probably not pick people who were so messed up, right? I mean, if I was picking my family, I would pick the brightest and the smartest because if they were going to precede me, I would want the very best for the gene pool that I was going to inherit, wouldn't you? Like, no, you guys are all too holy. I understand, okay? I mean, none of us ever got to pick the family that preceded us, but Jesus did, and Look at the choices that he made. I mean, what does that tell you about God's character? Some of you are like, that tells me that God needs therapy. That's what that means right there. I mean, God picked just the, the strangest mess of people. And my question is, could it be that God is actually sending us a message because of the people that are in his family tree? I really want you to notice this. Notice this. Jesus picked his pedigree and chose the best of the best and the worst of the worst. I mean, if you just look at the list and understand the history, God chooses kings and prostitutes, shepherds and scribes, the rich and the poor, men and women, Jewish and Gentile, the perfect and, and the twisted, and he puts them all together in this beautiful family stump. I mean, does anybody else see the inclusive nature of God right here? God is not a racist. You know how I can tell you that? It's because there are people in his family line that weren't even from the type of nationality that he was so proud to be a part of. In fact, on a bunch of different occasions, God all of a sudden picks foreigners. God actually puts, and, and now ladies don't be offended by this, but back in the day, in this particular culture, the only time you would put ladies in your family tree was if you were trying to prove that you were royal. It was completely out of culture and out of context to put ladies in here. And yet God lists off these four unbelievable ladies. Some of them have some pretty twisted stories, but he puts them in there as if he's trying to disprove his nobility. As if he's saying, it's okay. God's not racist. He goes on, 
inside and outside of the natural race that he has. God's not sexist. He includes people of both genders, which was scandalous in the culture. I mean, he, and he puts them together, every person from every walk of life, whether they loved God or not, and yet they were all called out to bring forth the birth of a Messiah. It almost doesn't make sense. I wrote it in your outline this way. God used the stained and the soiled in order to bring the Messiah who redeemed the stained and the soiled. I mean, think about it. God could have picked the pretty and the perfect, but He didn't. Instead, He chose the stained and the soiled, the broken and the normal, the named and the nameless. I mean, it kind of tells you where his heart is, doesn't it? I mean, you would expect purity in the line of the king of heaven, but instead it's soaked in scandal and brokenness and sin and pain. And do you know what that tells me? It tells me I fit right in. I, you could just slide me and my broken history and my broken past anywhere into that little genealogy and people would go, yep, that fits. I mean, I actually look at the broken family stump of Jesus and the first thing I think of is that I belong. I'm not an outcast. In fact, in comparison to some of these guys, I'm actually pretty good, I think, right? And it's amazing to me that God calls me by name and invites me to participate in His family and I get to do my part in bringing Emmanuel to earth. I mean, I even love His meticulous detail. The six or seven names that happened during the 400 years of silence. Nobody knows anything about them at all. It's like they're from Whatcom County. Just blue-collar, regular... Go to the mall, shop at Walmart, get your gas at Costco, go to the bank Monday. I mean, just regular, ordinary, no different kind of people. And yet we've been called into the midst of this broken slice of history to bring Emmanuel with us every single place we go. Here's another interesting thought that I thought about this past week. You know, we can be disobedient and rebellious toward God, but we can't thwart His plan. I mean, I really thought about just re-preaching this weekend, considering what happened in our nation over the last 48 hours or so. I really thought about going back to that arguing with God message about pain and suffering. In fact, if you need a little hope, you may want to go back about four or five weeks Go to ctkbellingham.com, click on media. You'll see a little message that I preached here several weeks ago called Arguing with God About Pain and Suffering. We asked the really, really tough question that so many people are struggling with right now. I mean, you can't deny it if you just look at the family tree. God uses evil and wicked people. Now remember from the message that we preached on, God's not the source of evil. God's not the source of that pain. God didn't make anybody do anything. An evil person made an evil choice, and we stand there in stunned silence going, how in the world can that happen? In God's sovereignty, according to this list here, God even used people who hated God 
and did everything they could to perpetuate evil, God still, out of the brokenness and all the devastation that they caused, God still somehow pulled a little piece of good and a little story of hope out of the the smoking ruins of what they left behind. He pulled these little tiny things and he began to shape it as only he could. And just like he created the world out of this broken, busted pile of ashes, somehow God begins to put it back together again and he creates something beautiful. For every person alive today, whether you know it or not, whether you will acknowledge it or not, whether you love God or don't love God, you need to know this. You are in some way inextricably linked to what God is doing. And no matter what you do, you will not thwart His plan. Because you're not that big. And neither am I. You know, one of the greatest things that I take comfort in every weekend when I get, stand up here and get to talk about Jesus, it's this. God is big enough that if I say something wrong, He can plug your ear. And if I say something right, He can go, listen to that, right there. Hear that? Did you hear that? That was for you. That was me talking through the guy up at the front with the microphone. I can't mess up God's plan because I'm not that big. So to those of you who have spent your life like I did, wasting yourself trying to avoid God's program, here's my appeal to you this Christmas. Get with God's program. You can't fight it anyway. He's too big and too loving. God's plan is going to happen. It's going to happen with you or without you. And he so desperately wants to do it with you. That's why he sent Jesus here for you. We can be disobedient towards God's plan, but God's God and we're not, and we can't thwart it. I mean, and how amazing will it be for those who love God to be able to look back over our lives and see that God actually was able to use us even when we didn't know it or have a clue. Last takeaway. Our own broken family line is no excuse. It wasn't an excuse for Jesus. You never see Jesus in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke sitting down and saying, man, you should have seen my family line. (laughs) They were a messed up group of people. No wonder I'm as messed up as I am. No wonder I need so much therapy. No wonder I'm so broken. No wonder I'm, I'm prone to this sin or that sin. I mean, did you ever see my parents, Joseph and Mary? Wow. No excuse. No excuse. I don't care what happened in the previous generation of your family. You are the present generation of your family, which means this. The good starts with you, and the bad can stop with you. This is your generation, so you take it for what it is, and stop blaming the generations behind you, because the the Bible actually says that as a child of the Most High God, you have the authority to break any of that generational garbage that comes down your direction anyway. And you know how you break it? You break it in the name and the authority and the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because we get that gift on top of Him. So we don't get to do that stuff. So, like it or not, audience participation time, okay? Repeat after me. No more excuses. 
It stops with me. It starts with me. And it's all about Jesus with me. Merry Christmas. Okay, I actually didn't want you to repeat that part, but that was cool. Okay. So, note to self. Change it there. Okay, all right. You know, you're just not a product of your bad family. In fact, if you know Jesus, you're an adopted child of the King, which means your real family is royal. Your real family is royal because the head of that family is a king. Maybe we need to live that way, right? One final question and then we close. Will you take your rightful place in the genealogy of a king? I mean, I know you probably can't tell, but I have royal blood running through my veins. And it's not because I'm a distant cousin of Prince Charles or Queen Elizabeth, even though I'm probably closer than most of you are because of my Canadian heritage, okay? No. I don't have a royal heritage because I was born underneath Her Majesty's Commonwealth of Canada. Now, I have a royal heritage because many years ago, God looked at the stump of my life. And when I called out to Him, He said, I'll adopt that one. I'm royal this Christmas because my Father is God. My comforter is the Holy Spirit. And my King is Jesus. And if you know Him too, we're family. We're family. It's been a crazy week around this church. We've had a lot of death right here in our own church family. Usually the week before Christmas and the week after Christmas, I twitch every time my phone rings. Because Christmas brings out the best of families and also brings out the worst. And it tends to magnify tragedy. What I know is this, in the midst of all of this broken stuff, if God can bring a Messiah out of His broken family, what could He bring out of ours? If we would just simply keep pointing people towards the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God. My prayer is simple for you this Christmas. If you don't know Him, you can. You can. He came here to adopt you into His family. Stop fighting the one who loves you so much. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father God, would you come and invade this moment right now? Would you help this be the moment when Unlike Jeconiah, whose first part of his name was removed. Instead, God, that you would put that little name of the Lord in front of every single person's name in this room. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you're not a part of God's family, you can be. And I'd love to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If this is 
where your heart is at today, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer along with me. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm from a broken family. And you came from a broken family too. But you came to live so that I could live for you. Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I've done an incredibly good job of turning my life into a stump. And yet, God, I'm asking right now, would you send the miracle of new life into something that looks like it's dead? Jesus, I, I bend my knee and give myself fully and completely to you. This is my Christmas gift to you right now. It's me. And I ask that out of the brokenness of who I am, you would make something beautiful. Because God, no more excuses. From this day on, I live my life for you because you gave your life for me. I thank you for the gift of your Son. I accept Him as Savior and Lord of my life. 